Hello, everybody. Thank you for coming in to Star Chat. I'm your host, David Wallace. It's a beautiful, blustery afternoon, evening. Winter chills coming down through the Pacific Northwest, and it's been lovely, I think, for all of us. We've had an opportunity to reflect on the holidays passing, and we have an opportunity to reflect on how that affects our springtime. The spring is coming very quickly. The sun is ever-changing. The planet has its own climate. When we move forward into the future, I just want to talk a little bit about memory and what we remember from our parents teaching us lessons and what our parents remember from our grandparents teaching us lessons. You see, every tribe of human species has its own ancestral value system. If you want to disrespect a human being, disrespect their ancestors, not the color of their hair or the type of clothes that they're wearing or how much money they have. If you want to really understand why things have been so easy for corporations and the government instead of your family value system, I'll tell you. Just like our friend Lowell mentioned some time ago about the the amount of damage that could be done by a carbon life form in 80 years, whatever the life cycle is for humans. The same can be said about the wisdom of our ancestry being lost because we didn't pay attention when our parents were telling us about our grandparents and what they went through. If you have the type of parents that didn't pay attention to their parents when they were little children, and when their parents told them about the depression and how lucky they were to have a nice clean shirt, if they forgot that information and then it gave birth to you in the 60s, 70s, or 80s, and they forgot to tell you about that, that's really a shame. Because no matter how short a lifespan humans have, that 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years that we get as a gift on Gaia must be transferred to our children. That information must be adhered to and listened to. I'm so lucky that I had my grandfather live through the Depression and my great aunt, his sister. Because when I was a little boy, I used to love to bake with my great auntie. And when I was a little boy, I used to like to spend time with my great my grandfather because he was such an important person. And he always had the right thing to say, never a mean word and always a good piece of advice. And he was seven years old in 1921 and that was rough and then when the great depression really hit by 1927 he was a young man of 16 trying to find work and he did he found work he was digging ditches for the california natural gas company in modesto california uh right after world war one and making 12 cents an hour and that was good money because at the end of the week, he got $1.25 or $2.25. And believe it or not, during the end of the Depression, post-Depression, that would buy dinner for a family of five. And if you're out there at the age of 12, digging gas ditches for the California Natural Gas Company in the middle of the flatlands of the Sacramento and Modesto Valley, well, you have no idea how tough that was. And so for a little boy to lose his childhood 
digging ditches until he was promoted and then promoted and promoted. But what that honest hard work taught my grandfather was that if you keep your nose to the grindstone and you're a good person, you will succeed. There's no pointing fingers when something goes wrong in your life. We have but ourselves to blame. And that's a truism a lot of people don't like. A lot of people go running off to pharmaceuticals and to psychiatrists and to fads and drugs and alcohol to pacify those things that they lack in themselves in the form of character. Good, strong character. There's a lot of poisonous words out there in the world today. Poisonous words that are sugar-coated, that are spoken to make you feel good. Lots of poisonous words in the cloak of, we all love each other, and I resonate with that because I love you and you're my best friend. Well, I'll tell you what, the only time that these resonances, these vibrations, and these frequencies should make any sense to you at all is when you feel them in your heart. Just like you feel the kind of advice that you got from your grandfather or your grandmother or from a great aunt. And then if you're lucky, your parents reminded you about their grandparents and their childhood so that you could do what? So that you can make comparisons. You can compare their life to yours at your age. And if your parents were honest, which is apparently a blessing these days, then they would have told you the straight story. And then you would have been able to say, hmm, I'm 10 years old, it's 1970. And uh, yeah, I'm glad that I have a skateboard, rolling skates, uh, roller skates, and, you know, a bicycle. So I think our parents did a lot to try and make sure we had more than them, no matter what level or caste system we come from. It wasn't until the United States educational system, the Department of Education, decided to start putting report cards that have the word poor and fail and excellence and succeed on them. So if you were under a certain numerical value system, you'd get a, a D or a, a C minus, a D or a D minus or an F. And then when the parent teachers night came up, you know, they could discuss your, your report card, but you got something from the school it's your report card you take it home and if you were a, a poor student it said that you were poor or it said that you were a failure and so you you have to ask yourself who was it at that time in your life when you got that report card from the school because we all know how school was so important to all of us when we were six seven eight nine ten eleven right so when the school said you were a fail or that you were poor, well, it must be because they assumed you were from a poor neighborhood or because you were a failure or your parents were failures. But the wording is prima facie. It's right there. So if we transfer knowledge from generation to generation, you can understand why things go sideways. Now, look at that 80-year period that we're supposed to live. If we don't get that information, if our parents don't tell us what they went through, see, like for instance, my mom was born in 1940, and when she was five, World War II was over. All right, so you know, my grandmother made a lot of pasta, tuna bake, you know, whatever the Betty Crocker service manual said. Grandpa was in the army, 
and he was over in the German campaign. And, you know, you got what you were given. And when the war was over, oh, happy days. And you bet, you know, uh, grandfather and grandmother spoiled my mother and my aunt. They were taken very well care of. But had my mother not given me the information about what my grandfather went through and that what she went through, then I wouldn't have had any way to balance what it was that I possessed and what it was that I was in cognition of. Because the logic centers of a child's brain do not form until the day that they're eight years old. Right on your birthday. Your eighth birthday is when the cog cognitive logic center of your brain kicks in. That was a study done by William Brakey, the great psychiatrist at Johns Hopkins Memorial uh, Medical Center, Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, Bill Brakey did a study with 500 children over a period of two, three years. And he took various age groups, various uh, economic groups, and they were all divided equally. So it was sort of a, a group of lower class, middle class, upper class children, uh, lots of different uh, ethnicities. But what he found was, is that when he took two one pound pieces of clay and he rolled one into a ball, and one into a snake shape, and he put them on the table in front of the children that were seven years old. And he would ask the child, which piece is bigger? And the children would point to the snake shape, even though they were both one pound. And he did this for a whole year, and invariably, every child pointed to the snake. That's bigger. When he had the children back on the day of their birthday, when they were eight, he started the same test over again, and he did this for a whole year. And when he put the, the ball of clay and the snake shape of clay, both weighing one pound in front of that eight-year-old and asked them which one was bigger, every one of those eight-year-olds pointed at them and said they're both the same size because they're both one pound. All right, so this is an example of genetic triggers. Now, when you take information and you share it with your children, you have to look at them and listen very carefully about their feedback to make sure that they understand what you're saying. But don't ever expect someone under the age of eight to understand properly because they're still infantile, they're still babies. Think about that when you're transferring information about your family's ancestry to your children or your nieces and nephews or your great-grandchildren. Think about that, because governments and corporations know that there's a huge amount of people in the United States that don't tell their children what happened to their grandparents. And if they had, they were the type of parents that did not run those things home so that the child had full cognition of his family ancestry. See, knowing your celestial ancestry your Akashic record, or knowing your three-dimensional Earth ancestry of your bloodline, your lineage, and how far back it goes. They're all three very important things. So if you're not making sure that your children are understanding the, the story of your ancestors, then your children will be susceptible to being guided away from interest in their ancestry. And this is why so many of these beautiful indigenous uh I hate using the term third, fourth, second world countries. 
beautiful countries that no longer exist on the map because they've been absorbed. Uh, no longer make beautiful little clay statues, little stone things, little baskets out of grass. No, they just got a whole bunch of, you know, burned out televisions and crappy charity clothing that they have to winnow through to try and make a buck. And we, we dump all of our first world garbage on them. So almost every culture that's indigenous on this planet, almost every one of them has been subjugated with exception to a few like uh, Papua New Guinea, because they know that if corporations go in there, that they'll get a spear through the head. There's other, there's other cultures and other countries that are, are identifying with their ancient ancestry and do not accept anything. Fijians are very good. The Fijian government is very good about making sure that if you want to visit Fiji or if you want to have something to do with Fiji, like live there for six months out of the year, that you have to take tests and understand Fijian culture so that they don't lose their culture. And Lowell sometimes references that to giving something away, your sovereignty away, right? Well, that's all part of that philosophy. So if the U.S. GovCorp knows that you haven't properly spoken to your child about their ancestry, what some of the funny people were, what some of the successful people were, and how they became that way, and if you're a parent or a guardian that hasn't made sure that your child or your, care, your ward understands those things and has heard those stories over and over and over again, then you're the one that failed because that child will join the Pepsi Nation. That child will put on their VR, their, their, their ear pods, iPads, iPhone, iWatch, whatever, and they will completely tune out reality. And it's all the more easy for GovCorp to control your progeny because you failed at your job. You must tell your children what your grandparents did, the value system that made your family survive. You must transfer the sacred wisdom. How are they supposed to grow up with a sense of self-worth if they don't know some of the stories from their great ancestry? Great-great-grandfather, great-grandfather. These are the images that I'm trying to evoke of spirit nation, of hope, of transferring wisdom and knowledge. And this is one of the reasons why I mentioned sugar-coated words. I haven't asked any of you to say, oh, like Dave Wallace, you know, save me. And I certainly am not capable of any such thing. So I advise that all of you should be very weary when you're out on your spiritual quest, checking out lots of different channels. Yeah, I had my experience and I still do. I have an ongoing experience with species from other worlds who communicate with me. And like I said, I could turn on or off anytime. And I see ships all the time. And I, I sent a short video to my friend Lowell. He might put that up. Uh, at some point, it's a tough. I uh, hope he does. But the interesting thing is not just in being fascinated with them, because it isn't the fascination aspect that they want humans to be involved with. It being fascinated with what's going on and spiritual development is all part of the whole picture. But they want human beings to shepherd themselves, to guide themselves, to use common sense. Use the value system that is innate to the nature of your humanity. When you discuss love, it's not proprietorship. When you discuss love, it's love. When you discuss care for somebody, it's not because you're going to get paid for it. It's because you live that way. 
So the most important things that are occurring right now are not zipping off to another dimension, are not just watching interstellar conveyance fly from one part of the galaxy to the other in front of our planet. The most important things that are happening right now are protecting our children from corporate America, corporate Europe, corporatization of their thought processes. The most important thing right now is to make sure that our children understand the beautiful values and the beautiful lessons to be learned from family stories. And it's, it's not something that is easy for some people, but it's really too bad because if you don't give those gifts to your children, then people will come with sugar-coated words that are more attractive than the value system that you built into your own progeny. They'll come by and say things and they will look like they're doing things that are holy. They'll look like they're doing things that are from the stars, but they only look that way. Well, you may not be fooled and I may not be fooled, but a child's mind can be fooled. So whatever you express around your children, make sure that your child is fundamentally grounded in the history of your family and the history of that child's ancestry and to take pride in that ancestry by knowing about it and to understand what their potential might be. Because there's no point in guilt tripping anybody to try and make them better people. Once you start telling your children, oh, you're going to be a great doctor, you're going to be a great lawyer, blada, 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 and become like a tiger mother or a tiger father, well, you may as well just give up having kids. It's really important that you make sure that your children are not chubby and pasty, that they're spending time outdoors in the sunshine, that you're spending time with your children doing fun things together, like going to the park, going to museums, going to school events, going to cultural events like uh, music concerts. Make sure that your child is exposed to what's left of the culture that's free and available right now because they will identify with a cultural integrity that you share when they're older and you're gone. And that's something else that people need to remember is within this short lifespan, we could be leaving the very next day and our children will be without us. So don't wait until you're home from work. Don't wait until you take that family vacation or don't wait for a better time to talk. Explain everything to your children and keep explaining it until they can repeat it back to you with some personal knowledge. Because ancestral tales will protect your children from liars in the future. Ancestral wisdom will protect your family from people who would take advantage of you. Because, you know, if you don't have that deep sense of common sense, and that sense of self-worth that we derive from familial love, from healthy support, from nurturing, for always being there when your kid falls down, he's got a bruised knee, and you do your best, right? You don't have to ever make your child feel guilty because for the most part, children have more emotions that are out of control than an adult has. There are no contrivances with children, and normally... As an honest, open adult parent, I would say that the first thing that comes out of your kid's mouth is the truth, because that tends to be what it is when you're talking to people and they don't know each other and they're talking rapidly and all of a sudden, boop, the truth came out.
It's always refreshing when that happens. So I'm really glad that you guys pulled in the star chat tonight because when we only have these little snippets of time to transfer vast, vast amounts of information, we have to make sure that with all the learning that we're doing is that we're still able to cohesively and coherently and with some responsibility transfer your family values and your ancestral integrity to the ones below you and to make sure that they can recite those lessons back to you so that you can carry forward with the wisdom of your own elders. There is no coming here or to someone else's site to find ancestral wisdom that doesn't belong to them. We have to create our own ancestral wisdom by looking back into our own past behavior, looking back into the behavior of our family members, looking into the Akashic record as clearly as you can see. And that's your wisdom. It's nice to read books. It's nice to go to seminars. It's nice to go to concerts. It's nice to go to school, university. Uh, the yoga class is terrific. There's a great one on 4th Street in Santa Monica. Nice. But you have your own wisdom and that guidance that our friends above want you to use is don't find the fascination in looking at our ships. Look to the sky, yes, and we will be there. We, you will see the ships. But they can't come down until you shepherd your heart and make yourself ready. You have to welcome them down. But that means that you're ready. It's a fascinating experience to meet a new friend from another galaxy but you know what? It's not going to happen until you have that internal integrity where you're not playing games with yourself at all. Because there is no getting involved with one little thing and dancing around it. You'll never become an expert at anything. There, if that's what your goal is, you won't feel anything fully. If you're just sort of dancing around it and just checking it out for a little while. You have to dedicate yourself to whatever school of thought that you personally study, which gives you self-validation, that makes you a wonderful person to be around, that gives you something to share with others. And it's wonderful to have you here on Star Chat and sometimes see you guys on other other stations, which is cool. Like I saw someone from this tribe on, on Vivian uh, Chauvet. Uh, she just welcomed back Jeff Demare, her her video uh, and exploratory documentary life partner, not her husband, just a really great guy that she does her show with. Jeff had a stroke and then he was healed. And all of us prayed for Jeff for many months and he's back on his feet. He said he's 99.9%. .9%. He could walk, talk and think all normally after a severe stroke. And it's because they heal us. They come down and they heal us. And Vivian also has some very wonderful friends and Jeff was no stranger to speaking with entities from other worlds, though I don't think Jeff has had a lot of physical contact. He may have. I don't know him well enough. So I don't really like get into other people's shows. Like the only one I really like is James Gilliland because James, even though he talks about white hats and some of that propaganda about the Illuminati, I understand where he's coming from. I like watching James Gilliland because he shows really great footage of interstellar conveyance and he doesn't talk shit he doesn't you know 
he doesn't say, ooh, this is that from there. And and it has this type of propulsion system. And, you know, this ship is blankety blank. And I really like that about him because what is he doing? He's staying in his own lane. That's why I'm not going to like start talking about stuff I don't know about. Now, I happen to know a lot about functions of the human mind because I've had to. I've had to understand how science impacts our thinking, how light impacts our, our cerebral cortex and our parietal lobes. I've had to study the functions of the human brain for what human beings know. I haven't gone to school for it. I just went out and bought, you know, $700 worth of uh, textbooks that I didn't have the money for. And now I know a lot about the human brain and what different parts are called and what supposedly the functions are. But I have a suspicion that the human brain uh, has a certain specific morphology that, that uh, neuroscientists don't discuss because they haven't grasped it yet. But I think the human brain changes a lot. I think that there's regional shifts. I think there's energy shifts. So that one thing that we think, oh, it's this section of the brain that is the causality of this and makes these things happen. Well, that could shift. And so what I'm seeing is some of the new discoveries about uh, neurons and, and the way neurons fire off, they're starting to understand that eh, what we learned about the human brain 20 or 30 years ago at the Mayo Clinic may not be what's happening now. Now, two years ago, I was on stage talking about little tiny lights firing off millions of them, billions inside of our head that you can't see, but are flashing on the back of your light because these are little electronic sparks going off. And then eight months ago, uh, neuroscience just postulated that they have biphotons. And these biphotons are light emissions that come off of our neurons. And that there's millions and millions of them. Well, you know, funny they should catch up. Because why is it that I knew about this stuff a year and a half before they mentioned it? Because my friends from above came and they told me about the functionality of the human mind, how chemistry and brain chemistry affects our decision-making processes, how it's really important for human beings to use logic to make decisions, not make decisions on any level based on testosterone or any of the, the estrogens or any of the, the hormone levels that you have as an evolutionary homo habilis upright walking species. Forget it. Get that stuff. Try as best you can to separate your emotions from your decision-making practices. If you were an investor in the stock market and you bought a specific type of wheat because that wheat does well in another country and you like those people of the other country and you put all your money into the wheat over in that country and then all of a sudden there was a civil war and they burned all the wheat and shot all the farmers, what happens then, right? You should have invested in yourself or maybe invest in wheat here at home. If you were going to invest in tin or platinum or some kind of like commodity, then invest something that's slow growth, slow yield locally. Now, gee, what, what is like slow growth, low yield, and local? Our children, in our children's minds. They're local. You don't expect much from them. Therefore, they're low yield and they're slow growth because it takes a long time for a child to grow up into an adult. All right? So that's your commodity. So invest in your children's future 
and their ability to withstand attacks from corporations by teaching them now. Call them up on the phone if they don't live at home anymore and say, hey, I wanted to tell you about your Uncle Harvey. Call them up on the phone and say, hey, you know, you had this aunt who was crazy and she jumped off a cliff. Whatever. But you got to get this right. So what I'm seeing right now are not necessarily my family, but I'm seeing many families all around me dropping the ball. There's little children walking out in front of traffic with the headphones on looking at their phone, stepping off the curb and walking in front of cars. I've seen almost two near-death collisions of children walking across, jaywalking across the street because they let go of their parents' hand on the sidewalk and it takes five seconds to walk out in front of the cars. And then the parents were looking at the phone in their other hand and they didn't even care that their seven-year-old or six-year-old pulled away from their hand because they saw something across the street. And thank God, the drivers at the time were paying attention because I was three cars back both times honking my horn. But it's like, even after honking my horn, the mothers are still standing there looking at their phone. So this is your fault. The fathers and the mothers who look at their phone instead of looking at the needs of their child's future. Time to unplug your shit, man, because I'm seeing a shit show out there of parents who allow their children to have more than five hours a week of up-close plasma TV and video games. The other thing I'm seeing are toddlers being placed in front of a television for babysitting time, and they put on banal, mindless crap like Barney or the Teletubbies, and the kid's this six-month-old being blasted by all that radiation just several feet away from the plasma screen TV and the parents aren't even paying attention to the commercials in between the kids' shows or the fact that the kids' shows are rubbish. Every neuroscientist in the United States has said specifically, no child under the age of five should ever be placed in front of a TV for more than an hour and at a good distance with a parent sitting with the child, but not more than an hour a day. Why are we allowing our children to absorb all this corporate information? Did you know that your television screen emits a plasma frequency, which can be attenuated mathematically and have many, many different layers of messages put into the brightness of the screen that you don't consciously know about? But I can tell you, your subconscious mind picks them up. Why? Because it's lamellar. These images turn around eventually and become a 3D model that your brain understands. Well, they know it too. And the evil corporations and governments that don't care about our planet are sending your children garbage messages through the television. And people have been saying it for years. And I'm going to tell you right now, turn it off. Get your children outside. I was watching John F. Kennedy talking about children in America from one of his speeches back in 1960. And he was saying... I saw something today that was very upsetting, and it was a school full of pudgy, overweight children. And he said, all children should be made to be outdoors, to be with the animals, to be sailing, to be running, to be enjoying life in the free world under the sunshine, not sitting at home. And he was absolutely correct. 
And John F. Kennedy, well, if you're going to say I'm a bad person for saying having pudgy uh, kids is bad and I'm bad for mentioning it, well, whatever. I don't give a shit. But I can tell you right now, get your kids outside, get them playing with animals and tell them the truth about the family. Don't make anything up, but make sure that your children are carrying the information of your ancestry with them because it should give them pride. It should give them focus. It should give them strength to go forward. The stories of the heroes of your family can be given to your child to build that child's sense of self-worth, even if your child's 25. My child just had his 27th birthday, and we had a great barbecue. We had a bunch of friends over, his friends, my friends that love him. And uh, we had a great barbecue. Everybody ate. Everyone had a good laugh. There was no drugs or alcohol because that's how he wanted it. And that's fine with me. But it was so nice to see that all the lessons that I spent with my son when he was little, all the lessons that his mother took the time to teach him are lessons that we learned from our grandparents and our parents. And they're a living embodiment inside my son. And my son knows all about the scams from GovCorp. He knows all about the horrible pollution and the things that corporations get away with. He knows all about the Illuminati and how they control everybody. He knows about all that stuff. And he doesn't give a shit because he knows he can't do anything about it. He tries his best every day, but nobody's laying a trip on him. And that's really important in friendships and childhood uh, with everything that we do. It's really important to make sure that we're not seizing control of someone else's experience. If you're trying to maintain control over something, then you better stop because that is a form of inherent manipulation. When I was talking about control last night to some of our friends that came to the party, I had to slow down a little bit and remind them I'm not talking about control in a sense that I'm going to control your actions. I'm going to talk about what I think control is and release it entirely because life is in control, not you. You are not in control of anything. The harder you work at manipulating your environment, the more exhausted and more burned out you will be. If you give up to the universe to allow life to occur, then life will fall into place right ahead of you and you'll find that you're on a much easier path while you're watching the pieces of life fall together like pavement blocks in the road ahead of you. Give up the concept of control. Don't control your children. Don't control your neighbors. Stop controlling the environment at work. And for heaven's sakes, stop controlling yourself. I'd like everyone to take a deep breath for just a moment. In through your nose, as deep as you can. Purse your lips and let it out through your mouth slowly. Do this one more time. In through your nose deeply and slowly through pursed lips when you release it. So, and for God's sakes, I sure appreciate you listening to everything I had to say tonight. But remember, stop, take a breath, release the concept of control. Everything will be okay. Everything is as it should be. We're all here together to learn a special message and a special lesson from each other.
I really appreciate whoever tunes in, whoever decides to leave a comment. If you don't, you don't. If you do, far freaking out. If you leave me a comment, I'll leave a comment for you. And please leave a thumbs up for Lowell. I'm sure it'll help his site. He'll never ask because he doesn't care about uh, those kind of metrics, but I pay attention to him and he deserves to have more thumbs up because I visit some sites like Ben Davidson and I visit sites like Vivian Chauvet and people that I know that I could trust for love and the truth. I don't wander through social media and I don't wander through YouTube because there's too many things that pop up that are unpleasant to look at. But as you peruse the sites, remember if you care about somebody's little site, give them a thumb up, probably means something that we have no idea how much it means. And as far as me, Dave Wallace, your loving host, I have a new nickname for myself. It's the Cavalier Bodhisattva. And so if anybody wants to call me the Cavalier Bodhisattva, you're more than welcome to. It's been a lovely evening. Sending all of you love. Until next week, this has been Star Chat with Dave Wallace, hosted by our friend Lowell Johnson. Thank you very much.